At the best of times, healthcare can prove challenging to deliver. While demand continues to steadily increase, resourcing may not be able to move at the same pace. And that is where clinical innovation comes in. Looking at things from a different angle, investing in new technology, or supporting the workforce to work at their fullest scope, these projects are the heart and soul of the theme, Solving the Puzzle. Thank you. I would just like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians on the land in which we meet today and pay my respects to their elders past and present and just extend my respects to anyone who is Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander attending today or online. So I'm here to talk about the Feet First project. This was an Allied Health Professions Office of Queensland funded project. It was actually applied for for funding in 2019 as a part of the Expanded Scope Implementation Project and we had two focuses on either optimising the use of allied health assistance uh, and promoting the use of information technology enhancements. So in terms of feet, I'm a podiatrist. Our core business at Queensland Health is to ensure that there are two, two Queensland feet for every Queenslander. Um, when we applied for funding, uh, this is our like, local health service area. Our podiatrists are only based at the Townsville University Hospital and at an off-site Townsville Community Health Campus. We deliver bi-monthly outreach to the Joyce Palmer Health Service, which is over on Palm Island, so a nice little plane flight away. Um, but there's no outreach that covers the rest of quite a vast area. So when we applied for funding in the 2018 to 2019 financial year, our local health service performed 216 lower limb amputations. 30 of them were major, so that's above or below knee amputations, and 186 were minor, so that's either a toe or a forefoot amputation. If we look at the demographics of that population, 100% of them had diabetes, and our Townsville Hospital and Health Service actually has a worse incidence and prevalence of diabetes compared to the national average. If we also have a look at those patients who unfortunately underwent an amputation, 26 was the representation rate of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, which is disproportionately larger than the 8% of our local health service, which is comparable to much, much higher than state and national averages. If we have a look at that same cohort, 27% of them resided in rural and remote postcodes. So we broke that down through coding and quite literally looked at when their discharge summary was sent out, where were they from? So this is important because 80% of diabetes-related amputations can be prevented through ongoing management and access to best practice care. It's oftentimes preceded by something called a foot ulcer or a foot disease, and these are often multifactorial in nature, so um, oftentimes can have, be complicated by vascular disease or a lack of feeling in the nerves. Um, sometimes having a previous ulcer or amputation means you're more likely to have one in the future. So how do we prevent them? Quite honestly, identification, access, and giving timely access to care. So we can do this through foot screening, patient education, provision of what foot services are available, and access to foot care. So when we applied for funding, we had quite a lengthy aim. We wanted to be able to provide rural consumers with a culturally appropriate, accessible foot screening service. So we did that through both modalities. So we integrated telehealth as a part of our business as usual at our podiatry team so that you might do an in-person face-to-face consult and then directly afterwards you're linking in with someone in air per se. We also utilised our allied health assistant and Indigenous health worker uh, 
workforce. So we're quite fortunate to have five appointed permanent allied health assistants at each of our sites. Um, and on Joyce Palmer Health Service, we actually have access to Indigenous health workers. So to have quite a lengthy aim, you've got to have a couple of resources and deliverables to get there. We actually delivered a 12-month project and a seven-and-a-half-month timeline. And what that meant was we didn't reinvent the wheel. We utilised resources that were already available through the Allied Health Professions Office of the Podiatry Learner Delegation Guidelines and Clinical Task Instructions, so to be able to train our allied health assistants and Indigenous health workers on how to basically screen feet. We actually adapted this into a group model setting so that we were able to reach more people and we delivered two days of training to 14 allied health assistants and Indigenous health workers in our local service district. We also then had to have something to back that up, so we actually modified some of our pre-existing discharge pamphlets for patients. We assessed them to see whether they were culturally appropriate and included different types of skin colours um, and also had a little bit of a consult with our Indigenous health workers to make sure that the language was appropriate. We did this so that we were able to capture everyone from a low-risk foot perspective of undergoing an amputation all the way up to someone who was at risk of having their either toe or foot amputated. We also created some clinician guidelines to be able to deliver telehealth and we actually did a whole work around delivering our model of care so that we could provide ad hoc podiatry appointments via telehealth rather than having them scheduled every two weeks. So our model of care we implemented as a trial period for three months. We did this so that we could get through any teething problems or find out where, where, the, where the issues were or where they lied and where we could invest more resource or more time. So our allied health assistants who were located at five of our sites did a, it essentially screened out inpatient populations. Uh, they focused on people who had a diagnosis of diabetes, anyone over the age of 65, those if they were Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander over the age of 50, um, and anyone also who identified or in their medical history report had end-stage renal disease, uh, chronic kidney disease, or were receiving dialysis. And this is because this is a separate population that is also at risk of foot disease. Once they were screened through our training, uh, they then were placed into a category at what risk level they were of undergoing a future amputation, and then we adjusted the escalation procedures or de-escalation procedures from there. Our outcomes over the three months was that 135 screenings were completed at our five sites. We did a little bit of an interrate of reliability and found that it took about the same amount of time for a podiatrist to screen a patient as it did with our allied health assistants. Uh, uh, we actually found a really small percentage of acute high-risk feet that were already residing in our rural hospitals, which is represented in black, so that was 8%. Uh, and for those who were were in our hospitals with a current foot ulcer or quite significant foot disease. 100% of them were seen within 48 hours of referral, which is our statewide podiatry KPI. And 50% of them we actually were able to deliver via telehealth. So rather than the patient being unable to come in and get be assessed for that appointment, we could provide that at their actual bedside. We also then had an additional four patients who we followed up from their discharge from the Townsville University Hospital back to home. So being able to integrate that model into both transitions of care. Main factor, it saved us a fair amount of money by implementing this, by training people who are local to their local communities to be able to know and assess what an at-risk foot looks like and be able to escalate as appropriate when someone needs a higher level of care. And a lot of our cost saving was actually associated with travel, and that's not patient travel. That's travel and what it costs to send a podiatrist out to each of our sites once a month. 
because we've got seven of them. Um, we've also got an ongoing cost saving of a little bit less than 15 grand every single year by deferring those who have a low or intermediate risk to the private podiatry sector so they can have access to care, but additionally it's not creating a further burden or increasing their risk of coming in later. So when you do a project, you've always got a couple of lessons learned. Uh, the benefits that we found is that patients commented that telehealth had no compromise in care compared to seeing someone face-to-face. -face. Our allied health assistants said they had increased work satisfaction. Uh, they said it really fitted in well with their other delegations. So being able to assess a patient's footwear before they put them on their feet to be able to do their physio delegations, to know that they're going to be less of a falls risk because their shoes are right, really just embeds into providing holistic care. For us as podiatrists based in Townsville, we provided an additional 145 occasions of service over those three months of the trial compared to the previous year. And with that as well, we also captured that we saw an additional 26 ulcers on top of what we saw the previous year. So capturing more people, capturing more people at risk uh, because we're able to actually screen and identify early, but also delegate care as appropriate. And so for our health service, the benefits was cost savings, but also clear referral pathways. So what to do if something happens and what the procedure is. The limitations we have is that we screened our inpatient population because that was an easy targeted, they're already there in the beds population. It can be adopted to an outpatient model of care, but being able to prioritise that with allied health assistants and Indigenous health workers who do so much already on the ground is quite difficult to add that to their caseload on, on top. Uh, and in terms of telehealth, a big part of what we do as podiatrists is provide sharp debridement in the management of foot ulcerations or pre-ulcerative lesions. You can't do that through a screen, and unfortunately it's not a skill that you can delegate to someone else to do. So we were able to reduce the number of appointments per month for some patients, but we weren't able to get rid of them entirely. So being able to also communicate that with patients to be, I suppose, realistic in the standard of care that we could offer for their level of acuity. Other factors we faced during the project were staff vacancies. So one site, we didn't have an allied health assistant at any point in time throughout the project, and we still don't now, unfortunately. Um, and we are looking at retraining staff in the next couple of months for those who have been successful in recruitment where we have had staff turnover since the project was completed. Another factor that we didn't really consider is the rural vacancies in the private podiatry sector. So being able to defer those, that, that particular care is all well and good, but fortunately as a part of the project in low risk scenarios, our allied health assistants and Indigenous health workers can provide low risk foot care. So even if that means telehealthing into a podiatrist to oversee that level of care, that's then giving patients access to a service that otherwise isn't available because there's no one funded in the position. So a year on, our project remains sustained in our current sites. We provide six monthly support to our allied health assistants for any issues that they might be facing or any barriers, and we perform 12 monthly audits based on that data just to make sure that the screenings that we're completing are actually being completed to the level and assessment that is required. So does it make a difference? So if we look at 2020 to 2021, again, same health service. We haven't gotten any bigger. We haven't gotten any smaller. We perform 95 lower limb amputations. So that's a 56% decrease. 10 of them were major, 85 of them were minor, 100% of the patient population was still diagnosed with diabetes. If we look at the patient demographics, we're sitting at 27% for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, which two years prior to that was 26%. 
and 26% still identify as living in a rural or remote postcode. So whether we've achieved equity, I don't think we have, but whether we're increasing our services to be able to provide access, to be able to identify and be able to provide care in a timely manner, that's sort of what we're still continuing to aim towards for our health service. So reducing the numbers overall, but still got a little while to go. Thank you for your time. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast and taking the time to learn about the wonderful work of Queensland's frontline clinicians. To continue the conversation, head on over to Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and let us know of any pockets of excellence you think deserve to be showcased. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Clinical Excellence Queensland.